0: Welcome to History Factory Plugged In, the podcast at the intersection of business and history. I'm your host, Jason Dressel, and fun episode today, not what you're going to expect. We're going to talk about the war in Ukraine, but we're specifically going to talk about it through the lens of communications, propaganda, and the tools of persuasion. Now, obviously, communications, PR, and propaganda are essential elements of almost all military conflicts, and we've seen that play out time and time again. So we're going to look at how communications and the art of persuasion is playing out uh, here in the Russian invasion of Ukraine and what we can learn from both past history and the history that is being made here in real time. Joining me today is Alan Kelly, who is the president and founder of a strategy and analytics firm called Playmaker Systems. And a a personal backstory on this, Alan and I met at a lunch or cocktail reception at a conference like a decade ago. And we hadn't spoken since then, but we had remembered one another because we were mutually intrigued by the work of the other. And for my part, when I met Alan, I was Totally fascinated by his work, which includes the development of what is basically a periodic table of influence for which he holds a patent. Essentially, his work has defined and quantified different techniques of persuasion and influence into a system not dissimilar to chemistry or biology or music, and you're about to hear more about it. Alan is the author of The Elements of Influence, The New Essential System for Managing Competition, Reputation, Brand, and Buzz. He has also published numerous papers, including the 2020 publication of Decoding Crimea, a Breakthrough Analysis of the Secret Strategies of Vladimir Putin. And from 2008 to 2017, he was a featured analyst on Plays for the Presidency, a weekly radio series on the nonpartisan Sirius XM satellite channel, POTUS 124. So I'm glad that I remembered Alan Kelly, because as you're about to hear, he has a really unique point of view and frame of reference for how communication strategies and tactics work, whether it be in politics or business. Now, one thing I want to say before we cut to my conversation with Alan is that today is Tuesday, March 29th, but the conversation with Alan was last Friday uh, before President Biden, Biden's comment over the weekend that Putin can't remain in power. But Alan and I did email about that remark after the weekend. So after this interview, I'll also share his take on the comment. So stay tuned for that. Alan, uh, welcome to History Factory Plugged In, and, and thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Jason. Hi. Good to talk to you again. And let's start with your, uh, your taxonomy of influence strategies. Um, you know, you and I met like a, a decade ago, and, and, and you had already developed this, and I was fascinated by it then, and I, I continue to be fascinated by it. So share for our listeners, what is it and how does it work?
1: It's a, uh, you you might think of it as uh, the way I explained to my mama in North Carolina is mom, it's the period, it's the first periodic table of spin. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, sunny boy. And, um, and that gets us rolling, but um, you know, there's a lot to be said or said against spin. But the deal is Jason, that if you're in any business, or industry that persuades and that i mean from selling shoes to selling policy to countering vladimir putin to promoting trump to writing tweets to doing marketing sales advertising public affairs blah 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 any of the any member of the influence industry what we have not had that chemists have that biologists have that um, graphic artists have that wine connoisseurs have that musicians have is um, what we haven't had is is that a, a periodic table like device that tells us the row and the seat number of what we're doing. You know, of of the. I think that these things are strategies. There's been a lot of debate as to, geez, should there be words or phrases or should they be you know messages or things like that. I think they're strategies. I th- I think the most basic units of a of an influencers. Uh, pastime um, are the strategies they use um, to to drive or defend or hold or flip a point of view or some position?
0: I immediately have so many questions I want to ask about that, including the, the thought of, it would be fascinating how cognizant uh, organizations or individuals are when they're essentially executing uh one of these elements on the periodic table so to speak um but first what, what is what inspired this idea uh you know where where did the idea come from to develop this kind of taxonomy framework i've got
1: a, a kind of a specific birth story it's september 4th 1995 so we go back a ways um and that is uh, that uh, uh at the time i i was uh, the ceo uh of uh, Applied Communications, which is a well-regarded PR agency in Silicon Valley out of San Francisco. And our big client was Oracle. Mm -hmm. And Oracle's big rival was Microsoft. And Oracle's CEO was Larry Ellison, who he didn't exactly coach, and he said stuff. And uh, so Larry went off to an IDC conference in Paris. um, And what did we hear over whatever medium at that time in 1994 we heard that Larry Ellison said at his little speech in front of Bill Gates who was like in the front row he was next he said the PC is a ridiculous device and he said it's too powerful it costs too much it's too complex you know it just sucks it sucks it sucks and he said that in front of Gates and like oh, you know the i mean the and the, <laughs> the press just blew up on and they didn't blow up because what he was saying, they blew up because he was basically uh, mocking Bill Gates, and so that fa- that fax came in hot in 1995. Fax came in hot, man. <laughs> the the fax. <facts. laughs> um, so so you know, we flew into the war room. We had a war room, you know, with the lined with whiteboards at the time, and I said, okay, okay, and I'm the son of a cell biologist. Bless my father, late father's heart. He taught me to think. I'm not really a scientist, but he taught me to think like one and, and think about units. And I thought, shit you, know, shit, 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 you know, why don't we know he did something? So I said to, I put the pen, you know, white, you know, the, the markers in everybody's hands. I said, you, give me a definition of what he just did. You, draw, me a, draw me a picture, okay? And um, give me a case, another case. And we realized in just a 30 seconds that we had four different names for the thing that Larry had just done you know a call out a poke in the chest you know a finger in the eye or things like that an insult um uh and and I thought huh, he so he did something now what do you call that thing um and I realized and it was quite literally like this light bulb moment I thought hmm If I could figure out what that is, and I think I kind of know, but if I can really specify it, that's interesting. Now, if I can find two, that's interesting. Now, if I can find three, and I went, oh, shit. Uh, That could be a periodic table. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, yeah. That we could create and need a framework of the moves and the counter moves and what I now know to be influence strategies, strategies of influence um that help us to decode encounter or complement uh the rhetorical mischief <laughs> of friends and foes alike so that's that's how it got going it was my big light bulb moment and i haven't been
0: the same since and it's it's so well a credit to you that's a hell of a light bulb but the how, how how has it evolved over time, or have you found it to be remarkably timeless since the sort of, you know, gen one?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, or like pre-beta, if you will, you know, we had like, when I was operating the firm before I sold it, we had like four or five things, and we called them plays. And that's a credit to a crazy ass guy named Joe Jennings, who was a disciple of Regis McKenna's, if you know that history. Uh, the famous marketeer and probably one of Steve Jobs' great marketing inspirations, Regis mm-hmm. McKenna. Uh, well, Joe Joe had this idea that that's what we do in communications. We run plays. And I thought, but he didn't really even, he just thought it was cute. You know, he thought it was cool. But I'd thought, I think that's what Larry just did. He ran a play. Now, what do you call it? Now, what do you call it, really? Um, and how many are there? And when would you use it? Under what circumstances? Uh, and so on and so forth. So, you know, we had like five or six just to be cool, and we would say that and it gave us some difference. But it wasn't until I sat down, sold the firm, moved out here to DC, and wrote the book. Um, and that advanced the first generation of the idea. And at the time, I think the, the, in the, the the 1.0 in the book is like 26 place I think or something like that and they're organized just slightly different. But over time with testing and experience and client engagements, you know my clients are guinea pigs, not clients. <laughs> they just pay me to be guinea pigs. Um, you know I've I've perfected it and uh, I've taught it at at three universities: USC, George Washington, and Maryland, and um, presented it in various forms at academic theaters of learning but I'm not an academic at any rate you know it's evolving it's in sec- it's system 3 right now i see no reason why there won't be a system 4 you know we're learning all the time more and more about these these little suckers um, and how they operate and to what effect
0: so so let's 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 visit the taxonomy in the context of of russia's invasion of of ukraine and look at the communication strategy through we'll take the the three of the primary actors right Uh, putin Zelensky, and and biden yeah and let's let's start with 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 putin and russia since he's he started this whole thing but when, when and what did you begin to see in the early stages of his rhetoric and did that fall into the taxonomy of influence strategies
1: yeah i mean the ambition of the taxonomy is just like a periodic table of chemical elements is that it is that it should explain how every bit and form of influence or rhetoric is constituted that's the ambition and i'm at the point now where i feel like it's pretty solid so at any rate um you know, Putin has been rattling his saber for a while. Um, I did a study with a guy at Rand Corporation. Uh, the study was called "Decoding Crimea," and we used my system to decode and sort of organize or code this, the the messages that Putin used uh, in concert with his ground war to get into Crimea. He he basically was doing what's called hybrid warfare information warfare and kinetic warfare or non-kinetics and kinetic um and so we figured out that um and you can look up this study decoding crimea um that basically putin wasn't just operating sort of in his usual bull in china shop mode you know i tell you you'll do it you know he was he was much more sophisticated that clearly he was running plays that were more subtle Plays that we call pings um, and filters and recasts. He was framing a lot, and then sometimes he would go, he would go be bulenchana shop, you know. And but what we learned for that is that Putin has range. He's really got dynamic range, um, as compared to say, um, it's a weird comparison, but I always think of Mitt Romney as not having dynamic range. Mitt Romney just sits like right in the middle. And he says very agreeable things. He just filters and recasts. And he's just very, very cautious. He's like two or three trick pony in terms of strategies. Putin is practiced. He might project himself as this horseback riding macho guy and KGB agent. But he's very good. And accordingly, uh, very dangerous.
0: Mm. And, uh, you know, one one of the things that I, I... think has been recognized as being um pretty unconventional on the part of the biden administration was how they ostensibly started uh you know kind of kind of to use some some of your vernacular they started basically calling the place they started essentially um releasing the intel or or you know uh you know um uh leaking it and essentially getting ahead of what putin was going to do um what, what was your what, what's your take on that approach? And does that does that fit into the taxonomy?
1: Yeah, there's a guy, a chief uh, knowledge officer at a firm called Maduro, I believe. I can't quite remember his name, um, but he, I think, coined this phrase radical transparency. He yeah. uh, and I think that's a great way of of sort of articulating what Biden administration has been doing. They they've been releasing um, a lot. They've been saying there will be an attack. There are this many uh, tanks columned up at this border. You can expect the following things to happen. Um, You know, previous administrations, just like corporations, just like most corporations, in fact, just don't do that because they are schooled to think um, that that is to invite a fight you can't win. Um, And this, we can go into this discussion then about, I think, what our basically the problems with with reputation management and and comms people i think they're so risk averse i think they're they're so into being liked um that they can't imagine um creating a creating a debate for the purpose of controlling a discussion Hmm. um so uh how's that that's good <laughs> so what so let's move i'm not on a del- big i'm not a big reputation fan at all no.
0: so it's so 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 biden's taken this this sort of tact this this tactic of, of radical transparency and what about Zelensky? i i think for the most part the world has been sort of surprised at how well he has fared um and obviously you know he has has, has rallied rallied the world um and how would you characterize his approach to communication strategy and what might you anticipate from him next
1: well he's got dynamic range too just like putin by the way di- biden may, may be doing radical transparency but biden does not have dynamic range he's right. he's really he is really not a particularly impressive I'll, i call him playmaker you know he's not particularly facile with all the elements of of influence um Zelensky basically has run two or three plays at a very overarching level. Uh, the, the, the first is that he's run a play called Invoke, where he's invoking some idea to try to glue to his brand or his cause or his position, and that is that he said, "Dude, um, you know, you've got, you know, you've got MLK. Uh, MLK had a dream. I have a dream." He mm-hmm. says, "Dude, um, you had Pearl Harbor. I got Pearl Harbor every day." Um, he talks about freedom we have a tad a taste of freedom we are you is what he's doing so he's really invoking these these really rich uh you know meta- american metaphors to try to get the attention uh, of america but western uh democracies in particular i mean he just he just went and, and he's going to everybody he went to japan uh, today like geez, yeah. jesus jesus uh, so the invoke is a really clever it's a framing it's a framing play where you're where you're trying to use other things to make yourself or your position seem bigger it's really no different in a way than if you like a mercedes you jump into a mercedes because you figure that that says something you know flattering about you or the shoes you wear or you know the the particular you know brand of milkshake that you buy i don't know but um so that's a big one. Um, I think that he is also, um, you know, he's running, he's running a play called Challenge. I think he's sort of trying to figure out whether or not he would run the Challenge play or the Bait play. He could have gone to Congress and he said, uh, what do you, you guys are just don't have the, the, the guts to give me a no-fly zone. He could have said something sort of teasing or taunting. But he decided to do what I call the nice guy's bait, uh, and that is that would be the challenge, which is, it's a pressing strategy um, that says basically, "Hey, could we do this together? You know, right. come on, come on, let's go, let's let's charge that hill." Um, it's the Pope's favorite play, by the way. Yeah, thinking. interesting. You know, the Pope is quite a playmaker in his own right. But um, so so those are a couple of things Zelensky is doing, and. Um, What's to me to me the real difference between him and Putin is that his plays Zelensky's plays show that by and large he's on the offense. He is running what I call high engagement strategies that go out there. They're not particularly difficult to detect. Uh, Putin's being a bit more cautious and a bit more subtle, and and those and that's sort of the, those are the telltale signs of somebody you know who's who's more or less on the defensive and not not quite in charge of the discussion
0: interesting and how how has how has the role of communication strategy in this conflict uh you know and the tactics that 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 have been deployed that you've you've talked about alan how have those compared to other case studies or situations that you're familiar with i mean does this remind you of anything else that you've seen uh in history
1: well you know, it's hard not to to listen to Putin and believe or think that what we're seeing is a modern-day Goebbels. Mm. You know, it's it's, re, it's hard not to go there anymore uh, because he is talking there. He's running a play called Label. You know, he just cannot stop talking about Nazism and and slapping Nazism onto Ukraine and their Jewish leader. Um, uh I think a lot about Bernays, um, who early in my career I met. Um, he's a pretty funny guy, you know, and he was, you know, he authored books on propaganda, and he probably would have told you that he engaged in propaganda. Um, so, you know, I guess in a, in a rather dramatic way, what's happening right now is is uh, evokes the, the darkest, uh, uh, elements of communication and influence.
0: Yeah, and, and and to your point about the the application of that in, in in the commercial space, have you seen companies use the kind of tactics that we've seen these political leaders deploy? Not that you need to name anybody by name, but are there some sort of specific strategies or tactics that you're seeing that reminds you of? something that that you might've seen a a company or a brand uh, do either consciously or I would expect, and I mentioned this before when you were just describing the taxonomy of influence strategies, that a lot of this is putting definition and awareness and consciousness around something that a lot of individuals and organizations are doing unconsciously, right?
1: Yes. Yes. Um. You know, when uh, what's-his-name turned around years ago and said to Dan Quayle, you're no JFK. Um, you know, I knew JFK, blah, blah, blah. That was unconscious. But it clearly was a play called The Call Out, same play that Larry Ellison ran on Bill Gates. So, yeah, people do this unconsciously. But either way, I think it's important um, that we begin to, to, to try to categorize, identify, and then categorize and organize, um, and then describe... Those, those moves and counter moves, I, you know, I think a lot of people would sort of just prefer that that they be, you know, a, a bunch of dialects, you know, because lobbyists have their dialect and um, the military has their own. You know, I talk about a decoy, somebody in finance might talk about a red herring, somebody in defense or le- electronics would talk about a ruse. But either way, um, we need to get on the same page because just look at what's happening to us. Uh, Look what's happening to Disney right now. Look at what look at what happened to us. Look look what Trump has done that he's emasculated um, the free press. I mean, all of this has to do with rhetoric and the very clever application of it, and then the maneuvering of people to think certain things all of it in my view can be explained um through my taxonomy at least at at a granular level and so i don't know that's why i can't get off the subject i think it's very very important that we start to have systems that that are objective and robust and exhaustive and you know all those sciencey sciencey words
0: <laughs> yeah well Alan, th- thank you so much uh for for providing uh for helping decode uh some of the, the mystery of of what's happening i think cl- clearly um you know communications have have always been a, a critical part of of uh of any military conflict and i think we're seeing you know that that's only going to become more the case uh as we move forward and just the way um the way Countries have really been able to weaponize information and misinformation is definitely, I think, one of the the biggest challenges now facing us as uh, as a, as, a, as a global society. So, thank you for helping uh, bring more more tangibility and, and a framework for for what we're seeing play out in real time.
1: Thanks for saying those words. I
0: it makes my it makes my day. Well, all right, Alan Kelly. Uh, great to talk to you, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. You bet. Thank you. Thanks again to Alan Kelly for joining me. I told you it would be interesting, right? Awesome discussion. And as I noted before, Alan and I recorded that at the end of last week. So that's one of the reasons why we didn't talk about Biden's comment over the weekend. So in case you may have missed it, Over the weekend, while he was in Europe, Biden made the non-scripted comment, quote, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power, referring to Putin. And that generated a lot of scrutiny because it sounded at odds with our policy towards Russia. And as well explained by an article in the Washington Post on Saturday, quote, it was a remarkable statement that would reverse stated U.S. policy directly countering claims from senior administration officials including Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who have insisted regime change is not on the table. It went further than even U.S. presidents during the Cold War and immediately reverberated around the world as world leaders, diplomats, and foreign policy experts sought to determine what Biden said, what it meant, and if he didn't mean it, why he said it. So this is just one event, and and those Nine words that President Biden said off the cuff demonstrates obviously how critical and consequential communications are and how high the stakes can be. As I said before, I followed up with Alan uh, and asked his take, and he shared in an email, quote, Biden is out of sync with his chief of staff and press secretary and needs a change. This is the third or fourth time they've walked back obvious declarations by POTUS that were otherwise impressive, decisive, and helpful to Biden's sleepy brand. It means either that A, they feel Biden must be managed because he's more of an actor than an executive, or B, Biden needs new lieutenants because they lack the skills to play offense when he improvises. B is the far better course. While I give the White House credit for its enlightened communication strategy of radical transparency, it is still struggling to shed the dated mitigation PR model that reputation management has spawned, end quote. So there you have it, more fresh perspective from Alan Kelly. All right, uh, that's our show. Um, Thanks again for joining and listening to this episode of History Factory Plugged In. We have some great episodes and a really eclectic collection of guests and topics we're going to be covering over the next few months of the season Uh, we had an unexpected dry spell here over q1 of 2022 because we've been so damn busy 2022, not getting any easier out there, is it? But uh, we've got some great content coming your way. Our next episode in two weeks will feature Sarah Fetterman, a professor of negotiation and conflict management, who recently wrote an article featured in Harvard Business Review called, how companies can address their historical transgressions. And she's the author of the book, Last Train to Auschwitz, the French National Railways and the Journey to Accountability, which came out last year. Sarah and I will not only talk about how companies and brands are reconciling past practices in their history with the ethics and standards of modern society, uh, which is something we've talked about on this podcast before, but we'll also consider that topic through the lens of how enterprises and industries are responding to Russia and applying additional pressure beyond just the sanctions that have been imposed by countries around the world. And then following up that episode, uh, we'll lighten it up a bit, and I'll talk with Neil Dahlstrom, historian of John Deere, and author of the new book, Tractor Wars, John Deere, Henry Ford, International Harvester, and the Birth of Modern Agriculture, which came out this year and is an enthralling business story of how tractor manufacturing and the development of the tractor market took shape in the early 1900s, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Until then, again, I'm Jason Dressel, and thanks again for listening to History Factory Plugged In. Be well.